This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Good to see you all on a wet and drippy and cold Sunday morning. Uh, So glad that you are here with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. There's no question that those words from the beginning of John's gospel, uh, words that by any standard comprise one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture, evoke all of the wonder and the mystery and the magnitude of everything that we celebrate at this time of year. The wonder and the mystery and the magnitude of the incarnation, right, of God coming to earth in human form. And as we celebrate that as a community this year, this morning we're beginning a new teaching series entitled This Present Glory where in these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be exploring together the incarnation of Jesus and specifically why Jesus came. Well, that opening section of John's gospel definitely highlights for us the epic nature of Jesus' coming, starting with that very conspicuous phrase that John chooses to begin with, in the beginning 
which of course is the same phrase that we find at the very beginning of Scripture, except for one notable difference. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so Genesis begins with God doing something. Right? In the beginning, God created. Right? We see God in the beginning bringing order and function to the chaos of the formless and empty. John chapter 1, verse 1 begins, In the beginning was the word. And so while Genesis 1 starts with God doing something, John chapter 1 starts with being. Right? In the beginning was the word. And that sense of being is an epic proclamation that makes the beginning of John's gospel unique. Right? Matthew and Mark established Jesus' identity at the beginning of their narratives by using Christological titles like Messiah and Son of God. Luke establishes Jesus' identity at the beginning of his story through angelic vi visits and the manner and circumstances around Jesus' birth. But John begins by declaring that the Word was with God in the beginning and was God, was God long before becoming flesh. And so John begins with this decidedly epic proclamation of Jesus' pre-existence as the Word. And that epic proclamation really magnifies the epic nature of the journey that Jesus made to earth. From the heights of divinity and heaven all the way down to a manger in a cave outside of Bethlehem where he was laid as a newborn baby. Jesus' coming represents an epic journey from high to low. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, literally tabernacled with us, pitched a tent with us. And John's use of that image of the tabernacle reveals for us that Jesus' coming not only represents an epic journey, but it also represents the culmination of an epic story as well. It represents the culmination of the entire story of Scripture. Genesis tells us that God created man and woman in his own image, and he placed them in a garden. And God was present with them there in that garden. God walked around and, and interacted with them. But when Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of the serpent, when they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had ins explicitly instructed them not to do, everything immediately changed. When after they had eaten from that tree, they were no longer comfortable in God's presence. But the intimacy and the fellowship and the closeness that they had previously shared with God, those things were lost as a result of their disobedience. And they had lost the intimacy of God's presence, which is the greatest consequence of the fall. 
And the reality of that loss was marked by Adam and Eve being sent out from the garden. They were sent out from God's presence. And the rest of the story of Scripture is the story of God's plan to repair and restore that relationship that was broken. It's the story of God's plan to restore his presence, the story of his plan to come again and live among his people. And that plan started with God raising up a people through Abraham, the nation of Israel. And God established a covenant with them and promised that he would make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation through whom his very presence would be seen again in the world. And through their journey, God began to reestablish his presence, first in the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as they made their way through the wilderness. And then God's presence was represented in the tabernacle, which was their mobile meeting place, and then later in the temple by the Ark of the Covenant, which was a beautifully crafted box that God instructed the Israelites to make that resided in the most sacred space in the temple, which was called the Holy of Holies. But as we see from Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden, despite the fact that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, one thing that he is not is controlling. That's something that we see from the very beginning is that God gives people the opportunity to choose their own way. And Israel had that same freedom. And they too chose to go their own way. And after God had repeatedly demonstrated his faithfulness to them, after failure after failure and disobedience after disobedience, he ultimately became so grieved by Israel's rejection of him that he sent them into exile in Babylon. And when the Babylonians sieged Jerusalem, the temple, that place where God's, God was present with his people, was destroyed. But God nevertheless continued to remind his people through the voices of the prophets that one day he would deliver them out of exile and bring them back into his presence. He promised through the prophets that one day he would indeed send a savior. Now, the Israelites were eventually allowed to return to their land and rebuild their temple. But things were different. God was silent. And he was silent for 400 years until the Savior that he had promised, the one who the prophets said would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us came in the person of Jesus. John chapter 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so John chapter 1 reminds us that Jesus came as the culmination of the story of scripture in order to restore God's presence with his people. Jesus came to restore God's presence with his people. And through that presence, John chapter 1 verse 14 continues to say, we have seen the presence of his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Jesus came to restore God's presence so that we could see God's glory. And glory is a word that's used to describe the essence of the divine shining forth. Glory is the essence of the divine shining forth. And so what John is saying here is that through the presence of Jesus, we have seen the very essence of God himself, the essence of God's nature shining through. Through the presence of Jesus, we have seen the very essence of God himself shining forth. And that's the image, incidentally, that we see in the graphic for our series that you see on the screen behind me. The light from the heavens dwelling on earth and shining forth from there into the world. And as John's story of Jesus' life continues to unfold, we definitely see the glory of God's presence shining through Jesus. And one of the most profound examples of that, I think, is in a story that we find in John chapter 11, when Jesus travels to Bethany to visit his friends Mary and Martha in the aftermath of the death of their brother Lazarus. Now, Martha and Mary had sent word to Jesus about their brother's condition days before. But Jesus elected to stay where he was for two days before eventually traveling to Bethany. And when Jesus finally arrives, he immediately finds himself in the midst of tremendous suffering. John says that many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary in their loss. Lazarus' death did not just impact his own family. The entire community was affected. The entire community was in mourning with them. And so as Jesus arrives on the scene, there is this incredible amount of commotion. And as Jesus is confronted by all of this, Martha comes out to meet him. And she says to him in John chapter 11, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, John notes earlier on in chapter 11 that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And the way that Martha communicates with Jesus here definitely reflects that. It reflects the depth of the relationship that they shared. Right? Martha's words are incredibly honest. But she can't hide her disappointment that Jesus didn't make it before Lazarus' death. And yet, at the same time, there's a sense that she also recognizes that Jesus couldn't simply just drop everything that he was doing in order to come. And so there's disappointment here from Martha, and yet there's also this sense that she understands. And the fact that she still expresses faith in Jesus, despite her disappointment, reinforces that. She says in John chapter 11, verse 22, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, based on what we know from later in the story, what happens later in the story, we know that for as much as the English translation of that verse makes it sound like it, Martha at this point is not expecting Jesus to perform a miracle to save her brother. 
Instead, this response that she gives to Jesus is a declaration simply that she still believes in Jesus. It's a declaration that she still believes that God works through him mightily. And Jesus responds to Martha's declaration of faith by telling her what's going to happen. He tells Martha that her brother will rise again. And then the rest of their conversation is a theological discussion that revolves around resurrection. Jesus proclaims to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, and that whoever believes in him will never die. And Martha affirms to Jesus her belief that he is the Messiah. When Jesus' conversation with Martha ends, he instructs her to go back and to send her sister Mary out to him. And John says that when Mary heard that Jesus wanted to see her, she got up quickly and went out to him. In fact, she got up so quickly that John says that the people who were mourning with her followed after her because they thought that she was on her way to visit Lazarus' tomb to mourn. Now, as we try to imagine this scene, Jesus is still outside the village at this point. Remember, he hadn't made it all the way into Bethany. Martha came out to meet him. But even though he hadn't made it all the way into Bethany, he there was this very palpable sense of mourning that Jesus was aware of. And now as Mary comes out to him with this coterie of mourners following after her, Jesus' experience of what is happening here intensifies. John chapter 11, verse 32, says that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Very same words that her sister Martha says. Verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And what a beautiful picture that is of Jesus' humanity. Jesus sees this person that he loves, Mary. He sees how heartbroken she is in the midst of her loss. He sees how, like her sister, she's confused by his absence at a time when she really had needed him. And Jesus steps into that emotional space with her. He enters in to Mary's pain. He enters into her anguish. He enters into her disappointment. He enters into her heartache. And he weeps with her. And it's such a powerful picture of presence. It's such a powerful picture of what it looks like to be with someone in the most meaningful way. 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth now it's interesting john's gospel is organized around seven different signs and wonders it's organized around seven miracles that are evidences of Jesus' identity. And the story here in John chapter 11 of Lazarus' resurrection is the seventh of those seven miracles. It's the grand finale of all of them. It's the preview of what is ultimately going to happen next. Because in John chapter 12, Jesus enters into Jerusalem to begin what would become the final week of his life before his death and resurrection. And so this is the grand finale. And yet, over the space of the 44 verses that John uses to narrate this miracle, 37 of those verses, 84% of the text, are devoted to Jesus' interactions with Martha and Mary, while seven verses are devoted to the miracle itself. And through all of that, right, through the manner in which John chooses to tell this story, I think that he's inviting us to see something. Right? Through the manner in which John tells the story, I think that he is inviting us to see something. He is inviting us to see God's glory, to see his very essence, not just in the resurrection of Lazarus, not just in the great miracle. He's also inviting us to see God's glory. He's inviting us to see God's very divine essence in Jesus's interactions with Martha and Mary. He's inviting us to see God's essence in Jesus's presence with them. John invites us to see the essence of God in Jesus's presence with Martha and Mary. And all of that reminds us that Jesus's coming highlights a couple of very simple, but also very profound truths that can be very easy for us to lose sight of. And one of those very simple but profound truths is that, like Jesus was present with Martha and Mary, he is present with us as well. Like he is Jesus was present with Martha and Mary, he is present with us as well. Jesus is present. He is present with us always through his Holy Spirit. And then the other simple but profound truth about the very essence of God that John invites us to see here, I think, is that in addition to being present with us, Jesus also knows. Jesus knows. Right? Because Jesus came to earth, because he tabernacled with us, because he pitched a tent and lived as a human. He knows every aspect of our humanity through experience. He knows our emotions. He knows our struggles. He knows our pain. He knows our grief. He knows our loneliness. He knows our doubts. He knows our insecurities. 
that because Jesus came, wherever it is that you find yourself here this morning, Jesus knows. And he understands. And he understands because he's been there. And so the incarnation reminds us that Jesus is not distant and detached and unfeeling. Rather, it reminds us, very importantly, that he knows our scene. And he's not only in it with us. He's not only present. He is also moved by it, just as he was moved with Mary. Jesus came to give us the gift of his presence, the gift of God with us. As Nick comes to lead us, in a time of singing as we close this morning. Around the room, you will find three different communion stations. There's one here to my left in the corner, one just to the right of the stage, and also one back against the wall to your left as well. And the elements that are at those stations, the bread and the wine, are elements that remind us of the incarnation. The bread represents Jesus' body, and the wine represents his blood. And they remind us of the ultimate expression of God's glory. Like that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross so that we can experience God's presence through the forgiveness of sin, both now and also for eternity. And so as we sing together this morning, you are invited at any time to get up from where you are, make your way to one of these stations, get the elements, and then return to your seat and partake of those elements whenever you are ready. And so as we sing and as we marvel at the reality of God's coming, may we do this in remembrance of Emmanuel, God with us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this season in which we remember and are reminded of your coming in a very tangible way. We thank you this morning that you came and made your dwelling among us. in order to be present with us. And Father, we thank you for that very simple, yet very beautiful and profound gift. We thank you for coming and showing yourself to us. We thank you for coming and being present. And we confess, Father, that oftentimes
we forget about that presence. Whether that's out of distraction, whether that's out of self-reliance. Lord, we thank you now that you are here with us. And would you give us courage to embrace your presence wherever it is that we need to feel it? May we feel the warmth of your arms wrapped around us. We love you, Father, and we thank you for the gift that we celebrate this morning, the gift of you with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.